0: Welcome back to MindLocks. It's our fourth episode. I am Jeremy Marquise. I am
1: Adir Yolkut. Josh Buchan.
0: Uh, we are so excited, as we are every week, to come back to you to share uh, what, are, what we're thinking about this week. And since it was New Year's uh, last this past week, uh, one of the things that I always think about is goal setting and thinking about the next uh, the next year. Um, I love that kind of stuff. big fan of websites like Lifehacker, uh, classic uh, Jeremy Marquise uh, thing. So I want to talk about how you guys see this upcoming year, what goals you're setting, uh, how you're setting that th- those goals, What does the Jewish tradition say about goal setting, you know, New year's resolutions and stuff like that?
2: I have one thing to say, which is perhaps a goal for years a goal for yourself for this year would be to not refer to yourself in the third person again. <laughs> yeah, that's,
0: that's entirely fair. I <laughs> that's will. It. Uh, I don't
2: have anything else to say. Great. Great. 27, life goals. 27,
0: 2017 uh, resolution, no self-referential third person speaking. Excellent. Done. And we're off. <laughs> yeah.
2: Josh, go ahead. You look like you had something to say. No, sure. I can always talk. It's one of the gift of gifts of
1: rabbinical school. You learn how to just talk. So I'm feeling like for me thinking about this coming year, you know, it's like a funny thing being both like a Jew and a secular American and that like we, we kind of have two opportunities for New Year's, right? There's Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and then there's the Gregorian New Year. And I feel like I often vacillate between between feeling, feeling like which one is the more important one, you know, feeling like, okay, the spiritual New Year and Rosh Hashanah is what I'm going to really reevaluate. But this year I'm feeling like this is the year. Like, this is the, the demarcation that I want to use as, as being significant. Like, the end of this year it was really rough for me in a lot of personal ways. And I'm feeling like I need to bring more positivity into my life. I'm feeling like I need to change. I'm feeling that this new year is going to be an opportunity for me to reevaluate and, and, and reconnect and, and uh, revitalize and reenergize my life.
2: And that's a goal in and of itself, you're saying?
1: Yeah, to try to, try to shift the narrative, you know, to try to be more positive. Going forward, definitely this last, the end of this last year, I've been in, in, a, in, in a pit in a valley. So feeling like I'm ready to get out of that.
0: I think that goals are always more successful when they're as specific as possible. Uh, how do you, how are you going to make your goals more specific?
1: Yeah, that was a terrible goal. That was not very specific.
2: was wow, a very a- Josh Buchan <laughs> goal, if you would like to say something in the third person.
0: Nice.
1: I mean, I mean, you know, people be talk about how like gym membership spikes on January first, and and I think in, in recovery like AA meetings on January first are always are always packed to the house, and I think there is a sense that people want to recommit to things, and I'm feeling that a little bit to myself that you know I kind of know what I need to do to, to feel happy. I want to prioritize sleep. I want to make sure I'm exercising right. Make sure I'm eating right. I I saw like a list on Facebook of someone else's goals for the new year and I printed them out and put them on my wall because I think some of them are good advice, but stuff like moving away from trying to be a perfectionist, uh, trying to think about like the big picture, the the big pic, the big picture of stuff, letting go of control. all of these seem like big things that I'm working on right now.
0: I want to lose. Yeah. I want to lose some weight. I want to exercise more. Uh, one of my big goals this year is to read more. I'm going to try and read 50 books this year. I had that goal last year and got a about halfway done, 23, 24 completed books. I start a lot more books than I, than I finish, but I want to finish uh, around 50 books this year. And one of the things that I really want to accomplish, I've been reading um, a bunch of stuff by Tim Ferriss, who is a... Self-experimental kind of person. He does all sorts of stuff. He came out. He's coming out with a a new book, and it's all about accelerated learning. And so I want to try and learn a lot more this this year.
2: You said self-experimental. Is that what you said? Yeah, he
0: describes himself as like a human guinea pig. Like he does experiments to improve himself. So this last book he did was all about uh, cooking and how to become a better cook. Uh, Love it. Yeah, it's a really, it looks really, really interesting. And he describes his whole learning process or whatever. So I think this year I want to try and learn more things, become more proficient at the things that I think I'm okay at, be a better educator, be a better speaker, be a better podcaster.
2: Josh,
1: go ahead. I'm trying to work on saying like less in this podcast. Listen, listeners, we've been, we've heard you. We've heard your feedback about, the amount of times that we say like, and I'm really going to try to work on that.
0: That's what happens I, when honestly, you spend so much time in California.
2: Yeah, bro. Uh, can I respond to the question now that, uh, Josh, you've already responded twice. Well, Listeners. I, out there been, I mean, I was going to say something
1: serious, but respond right. and then I'll, I'll, I'll sort of actually wanted to say, <laughs>
2: well, you'll see how your response works with mine. Cause I actually find the whole undertaking of goal setting to be a bit frivolous. And I know this is specifically for kind of how I work in the world. Um, it, it, it becomes constricting to me in the sense that I don't feel like uh, that I go through my life feeling like I'm coming up short or I'm not doing enough for myself or for my community or for my family. So I feel like I've checked boxes throughout the year in a way that's effective for me. And I don't, I don't get the feeling around January 1st or whatever new year I'm happen to be celebrating that I really need to kind of wholesale change things, little pieces here and there. I'm try, I try to be cognizant of throughout the year
0: that is a totally reasonable position to have. And I think that using, I'm I'm of the belief that using any opportunity to start over to like clean the slate, like if it's February 3rd and that's the date, right? If I need another opportunity to feel like I need to, I can start over. I, I feel like that, that makes sense. And I don't think that's in contradiction to, to what you're saying.
2: Yeah. Yeah. that That works well, Josh.
1: Yeah, I guess. I hear you about the date of January first or Rosh Hashanah or whatever, it's it's arbitrary, right? There's nothing intrinsic or inherent in that being a date of change or a possibility. But I do think that at least in theory, people are, are capable of changing. You know, definitely if you look at the Jewish tradition, which I feel like we're qualified to speak about, the the tradition is pretty explicit that people are capable of changing. And, you know, sometimes I feel like that's true in my own life. Sometimes I feel like, oh, I've changed so much. And other times I'm like, well, fundamentally, I'm still like the same person that I was when I was 13. But I do think that that people can change. I think that having a date, even if it's a, an arbitrary date, like January 1st or, or whatever whatever your new year is, I think can be helpful just to sort of set that intention as here's the moment in life where I'm going to work on focusing focusing in on what I need to change and on where I want to grow.
2: I wasn't saying it to the exclusion of that idea. Like I very much understand that people, certain. I, my argument is that certain people are more um, prone to uh, having this conversation about goal setting and, and goal oriented people. You know, Jeremy and I are very different in the sense that Jeremy is a systems kind of operational person. He likes to create a framework for how something's gonna look, making a list, organizing it. And I'm not, and I think one of the ways that manifests in this conversation is it's why Jeremy is more likely to be interested in setting goals in a structured way like this, and I, as I was saying before, just simply individually, I'm not so interested in doing that.
1: And I would say I'm probably more like you. Like, I don't really like structure very much. In fact, I I kind of hate structure.
2: Yeah, you buck up against
1: it. I I know, structure, if I have, like, structure, if there's, like, a a wall or something, that's just, like, I just want to break it or, like, disengage it entirely. So having goals doesn't work for me. Like, I almost never really set, like, hard and concrete resolutions. That's why my initial resolutions were, like, kind of wishy-washy stuff. You know, oh, I want to exercise more. I want to be more positive, or whatever. Because the idea of saying, "Okay, I'm going to commit to going to the gym," you know, twenty times a month—that to me is not. That's not how I function with with that kind of structure.
0: What's going on in the background? I hear a kitchen.
1: No, it's an air conditioner unit going. Sorry, a heating unit like going on.
0: Oh,
2: got it.
1: Got it. Okay. Like got, that, got
2: that. boiler, baby. The old school. <laughs> New York City.
0: Um, living the dream. The other thing I wanted to say, kind of in response to both of you, I'm for sure, Adir, you and I are really different people in that regard, and I'm definitely a systems methodology kind of person. I want to just echo something that you said about the tradition, Josh. I think about Chuva as the right model, as some sort of reset structure, right? Chuva being some sort of loosely defined as... Atonement, I guess, or a repair, or reorienting, something along those lines. That we have a day or a period of time in the new year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, where tshuva becomes the major theme. But the tradition certainly suggests that we should try and do tshuva every day. And I think the same model is applicable here, right? Like a deer, for you, you may say, "Oh, you know, this isn't this hasn't been working for me. I'm going to reorient myself starting today." because i didn't like the way i did it yesterday and i'm going to do something different now where like for me and maybe i got you wrong but for me i like the days to say hey you should use this day as a as a reorientation tool
1: you know i heard someone once translate chuva as neural plasticity if we look at it as being that that like human beings do have a basic ability to change to grow and to morph and even on a on a physiological biological level we're making these shifts all the time therefore this idea that we can do chuba whether it's on a daily basis or on a yearly basis does align with what we know about our own biology um at a pretty deep intricate level
2: that's cool i've actually never heard that before and it's nice for a concept that gets regurgitated a lot to hear a kind of unique perspective is welcome um i guess in response to jeremy what you're saying If I can frame it for myself in a way that's helpful, I'm a person who's deeply routined in the sense that pretty much every morning for the last many years, I can remember I have Greek yogurt with some sort of berry and banana and granola, and I have it every day. And for dinner, often I'll do the same. You know, whatever the concept is we're talking about, I get deeply enmeshed in them, and that's actually probably not a good way, it turns out, for for a human being to exist in the world. I mean, it's good in the sense if you're doing something healthy, you'll maintain it, but you won't improve yourself so much. So I think for me, goal, goal setting could be helpful not to start something totally anew, but to work on things that have become so um, ingrained in what I do and, and change them.
1: And dear, I'm curious why you say that you think that's not conducive to growth. It seems to me that having rituals, having some kind of ongoing daily routine that you do it, it isn't just... Um, necessary for growth but is essential for how we function the world like we have to have these ongoing ways of marking our existence and of creating ways to demarcate space
2: I, I guess i'm speaking about it kind of mostly from a physiological sense in the sense that science seems to show that if you are constantly eating the same things or if let's say your workout is always the same your body um gets used to it and doesn't do the things necessary in order to kind of grow or be healthier or in the in the most ideal sense of what your body could be performing at that level because it just keeps doing the same things over and over again until you introduce something that makes it think differently
0: the idea of a plateau
2: yeah that's i mean yeah your body can plateau your mind can plateau if you're not introducing new stuff
0: i think that the idea that goal setting is about like an entire i mean i like the model of starting over but little tweaks for improvement right I'm not going to suggest you should change your morning routine. It works for you. Clearly, it's good for you because it works. But if you decided, you know, I'm going to change by adding a new berry or I'm going to drink this, you know, a coffee an hour later than I did before, right, I think little tweaks can make a really a big difference in terms of long-term goals.
2: Maybe acai berry. Goji, goji berries. Anybody been, been into those? I heard they have some nice... uh yeah, you know the, the problem with goji berries
1: and, and and acai berries is they're not very sustainable. Like we've got to schlep them from uh, other areas in the world.
2: It's not yeah. so environmentally responsible. I'm just saying. Yeah, everything is about sustainable. You know, this is not sustainable. That. You know, what am I supposed to do? You do the best you can. Can I grow them myself? Do you think they're uh, native to the lands of Westchester, New York? I don't think they'll grow on grow them in my Do you have a garden? Do you have anything growing? I, I'm them? I'm gonna build a greenhouse. I'm thinking for my goal this year. That's a great idea. You can
1: see you have a green thumb. You know, I've always like uh, pictured you out there with like uh, a hoe, you know, like
2: (laughs) like like my people back in the in the interlands.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like in the old country, return to the land.
0: All right. Anything else we want to say about this subject?
2: No, I feel like it's pretty good. I
1: got something. (laughs) Okay, that's mine. Tweet us your goals. That's what I wanted to say. What are your goals? I, you know, statistics have shown that if you share goals, you're more likely to follow through with them. So share your goals with us. Tweet us. Hashtag MindBlocks.
0: It's a great idea, Josh. I'm into it.
1: Let us know. We'll support you. We love you. We're here for you. Yeah, we're
2: all in it together. all our musical famously once said.
1: Welcome back to MyBlocks. For our next segment, where we are going to talk about the issue of... I know a topic that's really close to um, our hearts and to hopefully the hearts of many of our listeners. We're going to talk about sports and fandom and about showing allegiance to a team. This was a question which was posed to me this week by someone, and I thought it was a good one, so I wanted to bring it here. Do we think that it is good to have allegiance to a sports team? In particular, you know, some people say that it could lead to sort of... Um, I don't know, maybe too much much pride or maybe pride in an insular group. Or Really, we want to be looking more globally. Um, What do you guys think? Is it good to be a fan? Is it bad to be a fan? What are the arguments?
2: I'll just say uh, I can speak to this kind of with two caps on. One, as a huge sports fan of many sports teams and um, a person who spends a lot of their time watching sports. I get a lot of enjoyment from it. It colors a lot of the way I think about the world. But I also recognize that it is very unhealthy, at least in the way it manifests in my life. Um, I have very early memories of really being forlorn that my team's lost. I cried on the side of the street when the Rams lost, got cheated out of the Super Bowl in 2001 to the Patriots. And um, I know the amount of energy I put into it is certainly not a great use of energy. But on the other hand, I could never really see myself being divorced from that part of my life.
1: And I'll say that I've been finding myself recently waking up in the middle of the night um, thinking about the end of the Warriors season last year and how disappointing that was. So I I feel you. I feel you. But, you know, I think that the flip side of it is that like, like, right, questions are set about whether or not it's worth the emotional investment. Like, do we think there's a benefit? You know, when you see someone wearing a a baseball hat that's your team, like, do you feel that connection? Is is that worth it? I guess is the question I want to ask.
0: I definitely say go Ducks to people whenever I see an Oregon O, but I wanted to ask a, a false dichotomy question, which is: Is it better to be a like super fan or a fair weather fan? Like, is is there? Are right, you said your your super fandom is unhealthy? Is fair weather fandom healthier?
2: I'll ask Josh, what? He, he's a Fairweather fan of all the teams that he likes. He basically became a sports fan two year, three years ago. 49ers were good, now they suck. The Warriors started getting good, so Josh jumped on the bandwagon. Excuse me, I was also an A's fan. For the record, I need—I always want to defend
1: my sports fandom for a second here, which is that I was a legitimate sports fan when I was a kid, and I took a break. Like, like have you ever been in a relationship where, where, you know, for whatever reason it wasn't working out, there was some friction, some tension, you just said, you know what, we're just going to take a break. Like, I was on a break for a long time, but like you were still in my life, you know, I still knew them. I still had an A's hat. Like I could still name the players when I was a kid. So I just want to say like, I come by it honestly.
0: I was, I became a sports fan as uh, in college and as an adult, right? I didn't have kid fandom, right? I did. My, my sports fan had been come when I was 11 and knowing all of the players on any team, but being around people who were fans already, right? In college, Going to the University of Oregon, everyone was a fan. That that created my fandom, and watching the Blazers my senior year of college during the whole playoff season and and all of that, it was really exciting. And you know, less exciting as time has gone on with the success or lack thereof of the Blazers. But you know that that happened as as an adult. I feel like my fandom might be mo- not more mature, but like it doesn't hurt as much. Maybe than it does for, for you a deer when, when your teams lose, like, I, I feel like I'm able to brush it off. Maybe that means I'm not as big of a fan as you are.
1: I mean, I think that part of the benefit for me and right, part of like why I sort of came back to sports was really one of the same reasons why I it was one of the same reasons why I ultimately came back to Judaism, which was like, there's a, really, is a sense of community and camaraderie you get. I mean, it gives you a, a shared language unless you talk about something with people, you're sitting on a plane for instance and the person next to you might be you know a a farmer in arkansas like you you might not be able to talk to that person about farming or about politics or about about religion farming but but sports sports (laughs) gives you what second farming
2: (laughs) reference second farming reference of the show
1: don't don't farmers fly they fly whatever look my, my point is that like what what sort of drew me back into the narrative of sports was one Learning that it's a narrative, but also like having that like that, that camaraderie that you talk about, and I think like when I think about the benefits of having an identity as, as a sports fan, like you do feel this intricate connection with with other people in your team, and it's like totally arbitrary, right? Because like if if you know, do let me ask you this: yes. when you were a kid, yes, the Rams were in your hometown. Now that the Rams have moved to a different city, are are you still a fan of the Rams?
2: That's a pretty complicated question. I mean, I came into this year thinking that I would watch them and be a fan of them because I was trying to kind of separate out the players and the franchise that I came to love, separated from the owners, who is despicable, and uh, COO Kevin Demoff, who I think is also just like a really evil business person. Um, But then I found it really hard to actually do that, like watching the games because they're so bad and because that the terribleness of the franchise is connected to those people who I think are terrible, that they've run it so poorly. I just was hate watching them. And I kind of found myself at the end of the season, not really so interested in them as a team. So I naturally lost that fan. Dumb. Jeremy.
0: I, I want to ask a, a similar, but related question, which is if all of the players of a team that you love were switched, right? They've got traded and it was a hundred percent, a new roster, wouldn't you still be a fan of that team, right? It's not really made up of all of those players. It's the um, uniforms and it's the culture around it.
1: I mean, I think that's why sports fandom is so interesting because the allegiance is inherently arbitrary. Like it's based on either where you grew up or where your parents grew up or proximity and all the individual players can totally change. So that's why, you know, you calling me out for saying, "Oh, I wasn't like a true like, 49ers fan a few years ago well like I was a 49ers fan 15 years ago and like what difference does it make if the, if there's a gap there because all of the players all of the roster has totally shifted
2: well I don't think that's a fair parallel I, I will say I was kind of joking about the fair weatherdom fair weather fandom but I do think that there is a big difference and it, and it points to it not just being about the players because it was easy to be a fan of the 49ers 15 years ago because 15 years ago or yeah I guess that was the tail end of it but they were awesome in the late 90s early aughts. I mean, that's and, when I was in
1: when it, like 96, 97, 98. Right, like
2: yeah. I was. when Steve Young was quarterback, Terrell Owens was on right. But that now, it's like they were 2-14. and 14. So if you were a true fan, you would love the, the team, whether or not the same players who were bringing them to success or players who were bringing them to failure.
0: For, for our listeners that are not big sports fans, are there principles about fandom that might apply, right? People who are... Uh, fans of book series or fans of, you know, certain category of movies, you know, people who love the Star Wars movies or whatever. Is there parallels uh, with sports and other types of fandom?
1: So I want to, I actually heard uh, a rabbi give this a sermon a few years ago, and it it kind of rankled me and also kind of makes sense. So the rabbi said that he saw an article about a plane crash where like 250 people died in this plane crash. And his first thought wasn't, oh, my God, that's so terrible. It was how many Jews died on the plane. And the way that he spun it was he said, well, you know, like 250 people, it's too big of a number for me to comprehend. I can't make sense of that. But the 15 Jews on the plane who died, like that's a number that I can relate to. So I think to some extent, we're we're, we're constantly putting people into categories and constantly putting ourselves into those categories, into those groups as a way of making connections on smaller scales, because otherwise it's too overwhelming to say like, oh, I like all people, but can I say like, I like all you know, 49ers fans, I like all Warriors fans, like I don't, but like it's a way of sort of uh, of scaling down the community to, way, to ways which feels maybe more relatable and more manageable.
2: Yeah, I'll use this moment to just say much of my thinking on this question actually comes from a blog a friend of mine pointed me to, shout out to Greg Viverito. Uh, it's called Wait But Why, and it basically explores lots of different questions and kind of things we take for granted and figures out why it is that they are things. So this one is on sports fandom. Like if you think about it objectively, nothing about being a sports sports fan makes much rational sense. Uh, let me just read to you the first paragraph and then
0: we'll also put a link to it in the, yeah, the show. notes. Yeah, we'll link it.
2: So a bunch of strangers in their 20s and 30s are paid to play games against each other that have no real-world consequences, and you've decided that you care a ton about this. There are teams that must win and teams that must lose and players that must play better than other players, and this is all critical. That's just the start of it, and it goes into it more. For me, I have trouble finding parallels. I mean, you know, if you come up with anything that I guess bonds people together that are not normally bonded together um, and makes them care about things that they might not normally find... um, unity on that's I think that's a good thing I don't know what that is but in our society especially has become more divisive I think sports can be a great bridging uh, bridging factor I think naturally
0: human beings are tribal right if the tribe is geographic or sports oriented or you know professional tribe you know everyone who's a lawyer or whatever right? I think there's a certain part of it that is a natural response even if it is irrational
2: yeah
1: yeah i think i mean again i think that's what i was trying to say about judaism right is that like many of us feel a connection to a religious group let's say and in a way you could say that's equally arbitrary like it's based on where you were born where you grew up what you felt attracted to for like a variety of reasons but it still becomes an essential part of how we relate not just to our own sense of identity but to the people in our community in general i want to give another shout out to uh, a big a big 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 uh Friend of Mind locked quarterback Derek Carr. Derek, DC, we just tweeted at you. Listen, we're sending you love and blessings and strength right now for healing. I'm so sorry about the season. Hoping you a speedy recovery. Let us know if you want to come on the pod. We would love to check it out. We'll chat. Yeah. You know, we love the Bible. We love the Bible. Joshua 1:9. Check it out.
2: enjoy being in Las Vegas next year. All right, everybody, welcome back for our third and final segment. We're going to end today's show as usual with our favorite media moment of the week. We're going to kick it off with Josh. Josh, what do you got? All right, another another great choice for me. I'm really loving the animated
1: movies. I spoke about um, Sausage Party a few weeks ago. This time I want to send a shout out to Zootopia. I don't know if people saw Zootopia. A little underrated, but it got great reviews on, on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic. I haven't seen so many people talking about it, but a great movie, a lot of wisdom there check it out let me know what you think
2: nice i saw sausage party i thought it was terrible i rented it on your uh recommendation bad bad movie i'm
1: i'm really surprised i think that that maybe we should move that up to a future segment because i want to debate the merits of yeah. Uh, theology I'm, yeah we'll talk
2: all
0: right nice these recommendations are are personal uh yes. not not collective
2: retweet does not equal endorsement or whatever <laughs> uh, i'll go next cuz i just started talking um, I will say I just started watching this awesome show that was recently picked up by Netflix. It's an Israeli show called Fauda um, or Fauda. I'm actually not even sure how to pronounce it, but it's a really fascinating look into the um, counter-terrorist unit in Israel that does a lot of work in the Arab communities. Um, so they they conceal themselves kind of in Arab garb and, and all are fluent Arab speakers, uh, Arabic speakers, sorry. Um, and the show kind of portrays, That group and also the groups in the neighborhoods in the towns they're going in in the West Bank And I think part of the reason I think the show is most interesting is because In terms of most Israeli shows that generally just kind of portray the Israeli side in the more nuanced complex way And the Palestinian side is kind of like, okay, they're there, but we're not going to go into it It delves into both sides pretty equally And the action is cool and the character development is cool The plot is really interesting And I always kind of personally enjoy Getting a taste of Israel, even though I don't get to go there as often as I would like, so it's super cool. Check it out; it's on Netflix. Second season, hopefully, is coming out soon, actually. Too
0: nice. I added that to my list, but I haven't watched it yet, so I'm excited nice. to
2: to make it there.
0: I think the favorite, my favorite piece of media that, that this week is a book. I don't know how to pronounce his name. He's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk. It's uh, Tich Nhat Han. <laughs> t h i c h n h a t H-A-N-H. He's pretty famous. He wrote a book called, uh, a short book called How to Sit. And it's all about, you know, each chapter is like a page um, on how to sit in mindfulness uh, when you're walking or when you're doing dishes or when you're gardening or waiting in line in the grocery store, whatever it is, but how, and as well as how to do sitting, you know, mindfulness meditation, but really about being present Which is something I, one of my goals this year. And um, I would encourage people to take a read. It's, you know, a couple dozen pages. Uh, It can't be more than 50 pages, probably less. Um, I read it in uh, over the course of a couple of days in 10 minute increments. It was, it was not that, um, not that hard of read. Really, really uh, encourage people to take a look. It's called uh, How to Sit. Very cool. Very practical.
2: All right, well, that wraps it up for us today on huh, Jeremy.
0: I think so. Uh, this was a, a good episode and we thank all of our listeners.
1: If we don't
2: say so ourselves. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: They're
1: always good episodes always good. don't don't that makes it sound like the other episodes weren't good. they're all good episodes. We're actually making a best of mind blocks DVD coming, <laughs> coming out next year. We're thinking Christmas 2017 could be a
0: good gift. It's goodbye think then think we'll have them, a, like, more episodes. Thank you to all our listeners. Um, I know every podcast makes this request, but please uh, give us a high rating on iTunes. It does make a difference. We want to explore, um, let other people explore what we um, what we're suggesting and the conversations that we are having. And what's the rating now? We don't have enough uh, votes for a rating. So
2: five for five, five for five. That's what
0: we're going for. And um, tweet at us. Obviously, uh, if you ask a question, we'll discuss it on the air, uh, like the person who spoke to Josh. So please uh, tweet at us. We're super excited to hear from you. Uh, have a great
2: week. Peace out.
0: So here, what I'll do is I'll put in music. Okay. Uh,
2: to, hey, can I just, can I say something? You can put this in here. I don't care. I was listening to a different podcast the other day and uh, I was so lost in my own head. It came to an end and our music came on, but I didn't realize it. And I was like, oh, this song is really tight. Like we should use this. And then it was like, hello, I'm Jeremy Marquise. So good work. <laughs>